Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Hey, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going well. It's the week after Thanksgiving. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving, you and uh, Keith and the family. Yeah, it was really nice. Very uh, relaxing. Um, Just kind of hanging out here low-key and then went and spent some time with family over the weekend. Well, that's good. We had a little bit of a family time as well down in Tupelo, Mississippi, as usual. That's our kind of our our annual pilgrimage down there to Tupelo for Beth's family and uh, Thanksgiving weekend. Do that every year. We got like a, a set schedule. It's kind of fun. I, I enjoy Thanksgiving weekend down in Tupelo. So it's always fun for our family. Very nice. Are there any special uh, Thanksgiving menu items that are kind of unique to the Tupelo area? Well, I don't know about the Tupelo area, but at the the uh, house that we gather at is just Beth's aunt's house. Uh, it's brisket instead of turkey. Well, they have turkey too, but okay. they have brisket and that's what I eat. So I'm fired up about the that brisket every year. very nice. But what about North Carolina? Um, You know, actually, I don't know because we kind of brought our traditions with us. So we did the traditional fixings the traditional fixings. My family always went to the beach Thanksgiving week. Wow. So my parents were here um, early in the week. They had been here when, while we were at ETS and before they left, we went out uh, to dinner where I got crab legs and I felt like it felt like Thanksgiving with my family because that's, that's what I ate every year. Huh? Well, that's fascinating. That's a, that's a different tradition. Yeah, we went to Destin, uh, just my family and my grandmom, and then we would go out to dinner every night, and I ate crab legs every night. So right. that's my Thanksgiving memory, and I got to do it this year. Yep. So it's kind well, of. Well, I just want to say Destin. I think uh, a good friend of the pod, Elizabeth Graham, may have had the most picturesque Thanksgiving of any of us. Yeah. Being in Italy with her husband Richmond. Oh yes, yes, Elizabeth Graham. That was quite the yeah. nice uh, Thanksgiving. That she had, so that saw, was kind of a, a nice, nice trip. Pictures. Yeah, yes, that looked very nice. We'll have to hear uh, from those. Um, uh, someone I, I work with, our uh, amazing photographer, uh, she and and her husband went to Paris for Thanksgiving. So oh, that was that's right, Maria. Yeah, that's right. We we got to hear all about that. So I'm kind of impressed with the people who traveled to these kind of exotic places. I've never done that for Thanksgiving, but maybe one day. It would be fun. All righty. All right, well, before we get into this week's episode, I want to thank our sponsor once again, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Located in Louisville, Kentucky, the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary is committed to training future pastors, missionaries, and gospel leaders. You can learn more about undergraduate, graduate, and doctoral degree programs by visiting sbts.edu. Amy, on to the news. Big news from Oklahoma this past week. I was going to bust into the Broadway show tune, but I really don't know that one, so... I'm not going to do that, and our listeners rejoice. I know it, I know it but I'm going to spare you. Yeah, you've been sick this week. You so. don't want to you know, risk the voice, right? Um, but right. Hans Dilbeck That's why. recommended yes. as the next Baptist General Convention of Oklahoma director to take over for Anthony Jordan, who's retiring in April. So uh, Hans Dilbeck is pastor of Quail Springs Baptist Church in Oklahoma City. And uh, the search committee is going to recommend that he be the next executive director treasurer. That's the position um, that he'll be recommended at a special uh, board meeting on December 11th. It'll be a special called board meeting to vote on the nomination. Um, and then uh, assuming that that, that will go forward and uh, that we fully expect that, 
he would succeed Anthony Jordan uh, in 2018. Yes, uh, Hans is uh, well known to many Southern Baptists of his time on uh, several boards uh, that he spent time on and served in national entities as well as in Oklahoma. His nomination is a testament to how well he is respected in the state of Oklahoma. We congratulate him, and we'll keep an eye on that December of the 11th board meeting. Uh, obviously, you know things could change, but uh, kind of expect that one to go right on through. So congratulations to Dr. Dilbeck. All right, moving over to LifeWay this week. We had a, a ribbon cutting. We had a big party on Monday. It was kind of cool. Yeah, I saw a lot of stuff about that, and I saw a video today yes. uh, that was showing footage of it, some uh, shots from inside the building, and that was that was really cool. Drew and I watched that today, and uh, he, he saw a lot of neat features in there. He's ready to come and visit the building next time we're in town. Um, but that looked like you guys had a great time, kind of a special day as a company. Yeah, there were some neat things about that. Uh, Dr. Draper was scheduled to attend, and he was unable to because of a, a death of a good close friend of his in the Dallas area. But we did we did miss uh, Dr. Draper being there. and uh, But Dr. Elder did come, uh, the other living wow. past president of LifeWay. I got to meet him as well. Um, he, he, he was blown away by the place. So, you know, a lot different than the LifeWay that he led in the uh, the late 70s and 80s, I guess it was. And uh, also, the great-grandson of James Marion Frost was in attendance as well. Uh, lives in the Hendersonville That's area. really cool. Came down. He kind of resembles Dr. Frost. His name's Hamilton Frost. He lives up in the Hendersonville area, like I said. And he came and was uh, one of our guests there as well. And he was blown away by the place. And, you know, he's been familiar with Lifeway, obviously, with a familial collect, uh, connection over the years. Uh, so he he was pretty pretty amazed by the place and uh, just it was really nice to meet him. So that was kind of cool. That's exciting. You know you, you know why he resembles Doctor Frost because he's his blood relative. Yes, right. Yeah, because he's related to him. That's yeah. why. Yeah, but I mean a couple generations. You never know. But he looked he looked like him. It was kind of neat. He still had the, he had the mustache and everything. Right. So it was kind of cool. Uh, right. All right. So it, it carries down generations. You the know, most Nashville thing anyway. ever happened at this ribbon cutting. So the, the okay. picture in Baptist Press, you can see the picture in Baptist Press. I mean, big ribbon, big scissors. Yeah. Right? If you're going to have a big yes. ribbon, you got to have big scissors, right? Right. Well, to to have the scissors on stage, you, you could put them on a table. You could lay them down on the floor. But what do we use at Lifeway for those? And there's some pictures out there. I'll have to find one of them. We use guitar stands and set them in the guitar stands. And they fit perfectly. It almost looked like they were made for the giant scissors. Large for giant scissors. That's fantastic. It was the most Nashville thing ever about that uh, ribbon cut. It was a great day. Lifeway, uh, we've had uh, some other little celebrations here and there throughout the week as well. So we are all moved in and, and things are kind of clicking right along at Lifeway. So it's been it's been a good week. Very cool. All right. There's a survey out there, Amy, uh, that's seeking the qualities of the effective DOMs. It's something that well, kind of we've been following along with at the Southern Baptist Convention of Associational Leaders uh, throughout the year. The SBCAL, uh, they appointed a study group. And so this study group is uh, putting this survey out. So we've got a link to the Baptist Press story, and then you can get to the survey from that. Uh, but the is to help provide a uniform job title and a job description for the position of DOM, because there are DOMs all over the place. And this is a way to kind of give something uh, where there's some continuity uh, among the positions and um, uh, because there are commonalities and they know things will look different in different regions, but it's just a way to kind of help serve. And this survey helps the SBCAL 
as we move into newer times and have newer needs that they can really think through what uh, what a DOM should be doing. Yep. And uh, so we'll keep an eye out for the results of this survey. It's been out for a, about a month or so. The story I hit Baptist Press this week. Uh, I sent you, I think, the link whenever I saw it in the SBCAL newsletter that I get every month. Uh, one of those little Baptist newsletters that I wind up getting yes. uh, because of what we do around here. So I uh, saw that and passed it on and yeah, and, and when you go to the store, you can actually link. You know, we don't have to just watch and wait for the results. You can participate yeah. um, as well. So so go to that um, and answer those questions. Help yep. them out. Help them out. Let them know what you want to see out of your associational uh, directors of missions and associational leaders. All right, Amy. It's more state convention recaps. We start in Louisiana. Yes, yeah, so uh, Louisiana Baptist met November 13 and 14 at Estruma Baptist Church, and uh, they had 553 messengers uh, as well as some guests. They passed a budget of $19,507,905. Um, that's a decrease from last year of 535426 Yep, and their cooperative program percentage remains unchanged at just 36.74% uh, passed on to national causes. Uh, they elected Eddie Wren, pastor of First Baptist Rayville, as President Jay Johnson, associate pastor of First Baptist Covington, as First Vice President, and Michael Evans, uh, pastor of Elwood Baptist and Forest Hill, second vice president. All three were elected by acclamations. They passed a couple of resolutions as well, uh, one obviously in appreciation of Estruma Baptist, another to honor the 50th anniversary of the Southern Baptist Disaster Relief, a third expressing gratitude to the 100th anniversary of New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary, a fourth denouncing racism as sin, and a couple more as well focusing on marriage. One item of note in this one, Amy, uh, messengers heard about the miraculous harvest by Trinity Baptist Church in Lake Charles during its revival, which resulted in 198 salvation decisions and 134 other spiritual commitments. Wow. Trinity Baptist Church, former home of Jonathan and Beth Howe and Ethan as well. That is really, that's really cool. Yeah, I know so, a bunch of those people. Uh, those are those are my people there in Lake Charles. That's that's really neat. Well, I'm excited to hear about that. Yeah, um, it's kind of cool. I didn't know about that. Your your former home church. Um, 198 salvation decisions. That's that's, that's pretty fantastic. Strong. Pretty strong. Even 50 yeah. of them were uh, baptized during the, the during the revival. So kind of cool. That's great. All right, moving that's over great. to another home state of mine, and uh, well, there's a connection in this one too. Uh, Alabama Baptist. They got to their 50-50 split this year, Amy. That's exciting. Um, they had been they've been moving toward that, and it kind of was a gradual goal, and they accomplished it. Uh, they accomplished it this year. Yes, they did. So they had their they had their meeting uh, November fourteen and fifteen in Huntsville at Whitesburg Baptist Church. Uh, they approved a thirty seven million dollar budget for twenty eighteen. Uh, that's down a little bit um, to be more in line with current giving receipts. Yeah. Uh, and they and they reelected all of their um, officers for another term. John Tweet uh, as president. He's from First Baptist Church, Pell City. Uh, first Vice. First Vice President Tim Cox of Liberty Baptist Church in Chelsea and Second Vice President Buddy Champion uh, from First Baptist Church, Trussville. John Tweet, good friend. Yeah, um, and a lot of conversation, obviously, at this one about Samford um, and the Samford withdrawal from cooperative program yeah. funding. And, and that's what that, allowed them to uh, go to that 50-50. Yeah. yeah. 
so they were able to drop $3 million off the budget and go to 50-50 right away because of that Sanford uh, withdrawal from the cooperative program funding. They also uh, talked and approved a, a sale of property in the Auburn University BCM building. Uh, it, they're exchanging it for some new space that Auburn is building in, in a, uh, a, a different facility there on campus. So I got a little bit of details about that and uh, seems like a good little swap over there for the Auburn BCM. Over to Georgia, Amy. We celebrated 25 years of Bob White in Georgia as the executive director. 25 years. That's a really uh, big milestone. Uh, so I know that was a special time. Um, they were meeting in Lawrenceville and uh, they approved a $41.2 million budget. Ooh. And they this is really cool. Yeah. They uh, were collecting backpacks for uh, children in Georgia and they got more than 34,000. That's a lot of backpacks. Where do you put 34,000 backpacks, Amy? Um, I don't know. You Somewhere put them on the backs North- of 34,000 needy children. That's where you put them. Oh, wow. You know, I was thinking about like that day. A where storage they facility, put yeah. Them somewhere in North Metro. But yeah, that would have filled right. up that sanctuary at North Metro. Yep. You put them on the backs of 34,000 kids. Uh, but what a great, what a great help um, from Georgia Baptists. Uh, they elected Mike Stone. Um, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Blackshear as president. That was a contested election, and yeah. we saw uh, saw some things about saw that. Saw a couple in of videos day. like about that. They were getting serious yeah. over there in Georgia. Interviews, yeah. So um, they uh, 946 votes were cast. Uh, Mike Stone received 553, and Fred Lodge received 391. Um, they had a total of 1,301 messengers registered. At 946 voting, that's pretty high yeah. um, for a pretty high percentage of folks uh, participating uh, from the from the messengers that were registered. But also, uh, first vice president was Greg Bentley, who's an associational missionary for the Alta Maha and New Sunbury Baptist Associations. Rando Akers, uh, pastor of Center Hill Baptist Church in Loganville as second vice president. Bill Marlett, pastor of First Baptist Church in Adel, third vice president. And Michael Wilkes, pastor of Center Baptist Church in Helen, fourth vice president. I'm not sure I know of any other state convention that has four vice presidents. Do we have any, like, do we have a fifth vice president? All right. I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's a reason for this. I would love to know what does the fourth vice, I mean, like, that is a line of succession that I don't think is, is going to be necessary in a year in a state Baptist convention. Well, here's, here's what I wonder because I don't see anything about, some of the traditional offices that we often will see. So maybe they're um, filled by the third and fourth secretary. Yeah. So okay. I don't know. I, we'd have to look at their bylaws, but I wonder if those vice president spots, if they kind of fill those, those roles, but then they also have kind of a line of succession. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we, sh- we should find out. Yep. All right. A couple of notes in this one, 40% of CP funds in Georgia will be passed on to national causes and I mean, I just want to back up to the uh, the, the messengers and the number of votes. So thirteen hundred and one mm-hmm. messengers, but only five hundred and fifty three, which is less than half. It was only about forty percent of the messengers were able to elect the president. So we we talk a lot of times about decisions are made by those who show up. You got to show up and you got to stay in the room too and participate. That's true. That's true. But there's definitely a quorum there. Oh, oh yeah, totally. Totally. And but it's just odd that the, you can you can win an election yes. between two people with only forty percent or so of the vote. Oh sure, 
Yeah, you can. And I mean, the other he, guy because had, he got a majority. Yeah. What it's a majority of the votes cast. Yeah, so majority got, of the votes cast. Um, yes. Right. So he got much more than than a majority. But it it is very interesting. If you come and you register as a messenger, uh, you need to be there for the votes. And so um, that you're you are correct at that. So back to the backpacks. Um, they uh, this is their fifth year to do this. And um, they used to they used to call it backpacks for Appalachia. Now they call it backpacks for hope because they they wanted backpacks containing Bibles and Christian books as well as clothing, school supplies, and hygiene items. They added some new um, associations uh, to the mix and uh, to to the mix for that. And they will deliver them to distribution sites. A lot of them through Nam Ministries uh, and. This will push the total backpacks distributed um, over the five years to at least 160,000. That's amazing. And they are, they're reporting that at least 4,000 professions of faith coming through their participation in this program. Um, so this is is really exciting. All right. Up to Arkansas. They have a new CP formula for SBC causes. They met November the 7th and 8th. And approved a $21 million CP budget uh, for 2018, which includes 45.82% moving on to national causes. That's up from the current 43.77%. So a good little bump there. And uh, they are moving toward that 50-50 goal as well as many other states are. They passed several resolutions, Amy, dealing with cultural issues, including racism, uh, polarization, and uh, racial discrimination, as well as hate groups, and the Nashville Statement. So, I mean, they, they covered a lot of ground with the uh, the resolutions up there. There's even a link in the article uh, to, to look at the resolutions, the full text of those resolutions uh, that were passed at the Arkansas Baptist State Convention. Finally, Greg Sykes, pastor of First Baptist Church, Russellville, was elected president. Wyman Richardson was elected the Vice President, he's a pastor of Central Baptist in Little Rock, and George Goines, pastor of Macedonia Baptist in Doddridge, was elected second vice president. Over to Ohio, Amy. Yes, so um, Ohio held uh, to a 50-50 SBC distribution. That had been a really big deal um, last year, and so uh, they are holding with the same budget, same split, everything. Uh, so they had their meeting uh, November 8th um, at Chillicothe Baptist Church in Chillicothe, in Chillicothe, Ohio. David Starry was reelected as president of the convention. He's the pastor of Vandalia Baptist Church. Ryan Struther, pastor of Central Baptist Church in Marion, um, first vice president. Uh, for uh, second vice president, they had um, a, a contested election. Uh, Reginald Hayes from United Faith International Baptist Church in Columbus uh, won that election. And then Faye Rogers from Northside Baptist Church in Springfield is recording secretary. And Annette Desiker, a member of um, Lincoln Heights Baptist Church in Mansfield, as assistant recording secretary. They also had quite a few resolutions as well. They had five uh, resolutions of appreciation, um, honoring, things like that. Uh, they also have where you can uh, access the text of those. One thing we had mentioned before this was that they were looking at some bylaw revisions. Uh, they presented those proposed revisions this year. They will vote on them next year. It's one of those we present them one year, vote on them the next time. Right. And then also, I just want to point out, Amy, 
this story the best lead? Uh, this is like Amy Whitfield wrote the lead to the story. Yes. Because it, yes. it actually names the gavel that was used with the, the sound Roberts of the gavel. Ray Roberts gavel. Uh, so yes. they even named the gavel Which, in the lead of the story. So this is like Amy's favorite Southern Baptist State annual meeting story of 2017. Yes. Um, they, the executive director uh, for whom the, their state missions offering is named uh, is Ray Roberts. And so that's why they it's the Ray Roberts the gavel, sound. Amy. Yes, it's the Ray Roberts gavel. Yeah. Um, the, the SBC has named gavels as well. And uh, the, the broadest gavel is the important one that is used. But there's a whole collection of gavels named after other people as well. But I want a Whitfield moving gavel. Moving on. Oh, wow. Would, would, that, well, be like, have, would that be like the, the ultimate honor for you? Is it having gavel named after you? Um, I, I, don't, I don't know. I think there probably are other things that are... I, that's that's a hard question to answer. I have a gavel. I have one in my office. I've had for a long time, and I have a mallet from uh a from a really great um Maryland restaurant that you'd use to like oh crack crab yeah Amy loves and, some uh, crab that it and it's kind of the same. So you know this is the similar. second crab reference you've worked in this podcast. I'm impressed. That's, what can I say? It's Thanksgiving. That's that's, that's kind of the thing. <laughs> yeah. So Arizona. When I let's think Thanksgiving, I west. think crab. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yes. yes we're going to bike out west because they uh, did the biking thing again this year, where they they bike in a two day ride from Phoenix to Tucson, uh, and this year they raised money to benefit Hurricane Relief, uh, and they do this before the annual meeting, and they adopted a four point seven seven nine million dollar operating budget, a 05 percent increase over this past year. And they allocate 32% of CP receipts on to national causes. That's an increase of 1.5 percentage points from 2017. They had 243 messengers and 36 registered guests. Um, and they heard a progress report on um, what they call the Centennial Vision. And the executive director, uh, David Johnson, he called for a reality check. They had the goal of reaching 1,000 churches by 2028 um, but what they looked at is that, that, uh, Arizona Southern Baptists have planted 89 churches, um, but have lost 83 churches. Yeah. That shows why the importance of, why there's an importance to church planning though. Because I mean, it, right. if well, we're losing ground, and, the church planning is trying to catch up to, uh, the, the churches that we're losing. Sure. Um, but he, he said, you can't just add the the goal is to multiply, have yes. churches that multiply, reproduce themselves, create a culture of reproduction. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, multiplication, reproduction and revitalization. Uh, Cause it, you know, if you can it, t- take that 89 to 189 and cut that 83 down to 43 uh, by revitalization, you know, you can really make up some ground there, uh, not just in Arizona, but across the U.S. So, uh, congrats. Yes. so that, that's a great strategy there. And I totally agree with David Johnson out there, the executive director. Elected were uh, Jackie Allen, pastor of Cross Church. Uh, he was elected to a, uh, as president. Brian Bowman, lead pastor of Valley Life Church in Tremonto in Phoenix, was elected first vice president. Eric Gibbs, pastor of First Pima Baptist Church in Sacaton was elected second vice president. And now finally, over to the state of Virginia, Amy, your former home state, the BGAV, the other Virginia convention, they met, and yes. uh, we have a report from them. Yeah, so they met, um, it was their 194th annual meeting. Wow. Uh, it was in, in Hampton, Virginia. They passed a $10 million budget. That's the same amount um, as last year. 
And their formula is, is really different. It's not just this breakdown. So they have tracks that they offer for their churches. So um, they can pick a track that's 66 for Virginia Ministries and 34 for Southern Baptist, um, for SBC. Uh, so a 66-34 split. Then there's a 72-28 uh, split. And that 28 gets split between Virginia, SBC, CBF, and other ministries. And then they have a 72-28 split that's just the 28 goes to uh, Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. So the dual alignment makes it a little bit different there. Right. So it's a lot of different pathways that are... um, that are available to their churches. So it makes it, you know, you can't really calculate very easily what that means goes on um, to the SBC. But we do know that some churches uh, participate in that uh, first track and possibly in the second track, but uh, but that their, their money is going um, to the cooperative program. And so, uh, so that budget of $10 million uh, some of that will reach uh, the nations through the International Mission Board and, and other other entities and agencies. George Fletcher was elected the BGAV president. He was a, a retired pastor, and Richard Martin, a member of Huguenot Road Baptist Church in Richmond, was elected first vice president. Brooke Holloway, associate pastor of youth and missions, a, a youth pastor, was elected as the uh, second vice president. Well, how about that? That You don't see that very often. Yeah, that's pretty incredible. And Fred Anderson uh, will serve as the clerk for the 30 30- Sixth year. He's a member of River Road Church in Richmond and uh thirty-six years as the clerk. That's a long time. Yeah, they well he know he knows all the all he knows, the ways he knows everything. Uh, that everything works. Yes. Yeah. Wow. They want him I would say everybody wants him to keep doing that. Yes, because uh, he knows everything. All right, final piece of news this week, Amy, is from Southeastern. You got a few faculty members uh that you've added to the faculty there. Yeah, this is really exciting. So one uh we announced just a, a few weeks ago, but uh, hadn't gotten a chance to talk about yeah, it. Yeah, I totally here. forgot about this. This is my fault. I bl- I take the blame on this one. Okay. Um I I mean I could have reminded you, so you know, that's okay. Uh, so this is the announcement that we made uh, to appoint Jeff Struker as assistant professor of Christian leadership. He's got leadership potential. He, he yes, he does. Uh, that is a just a, a little side note to one of our listeners out there. Um, but uh, the, he's the lead pastor at Calvary Baptist Church in Columbus, Georgia. He is not leaving uh, Columbus. He'll remain in the pastorate, but he'll do uh, intensive courses at you know graduate and doctoral levels. He, he's going to be uh, teaching a, a PhD seminar in January. Um, but, you know, he's he's known um, as a, a great pastor, but also well-known. He's an Army Ranger, was inducted into the Ranger Hall of Fame, and um, is usually known for uh, the the fact that he was part of uh, Black Hawk Down. Yeah. Um, so was was in that operation in Somalia. If you see that movie, Black Hawk Down, he actually is one of the people in that movie. But he has more than 22 years of um, military service. But when he was in Somalia, he uh, became a believer and then decided to become a uh, chaplain and did that for the last 10 years of his military service. And he did, so he just completed his PhD at Southeastern a few years ago. And it's really exciting uh, to have him uh, to have him on our faculty. I would say with all of his experience, he knows quite a bit about leadership. Yes, he does. He does. And he's also got a couple of preaching professors, Scott Pace and Ron Jour-Lock. Uh, we uh, dropped that announcement this week. Um, Scott Pace 
uh, is coming from Oklahoma Baptist uh, University in Shawnee, Oklahoma. He is currently the Associate Professor of Applied Ministry and the Hughes Chair of Christian Ministry. Um, and He's going to have to get he, a new chair, because I bet they won't let yes, him bring that with him. Probably not. Get the man a new um, office chair. Yes, but he's made great contributions at OBU, and, and the, their institution's been just nothing but... Uh, supportive. I mean, it's a bittersweet time for them because they are excited uh, for Dr. Pace. Um, but I know it, it, it'll be a huge, uh, a huge loss. I think he had a great impact there, but we're excited um, about how he will come and uh, be a part of the Southeastern family. And then uh, Ronjour Locke, who is currently, he's coming from Baltimore, um, pastor of uh, First Baptist Church in Brooklyn. But not Brooklyn, New York. Brooklyn, Baltimore, right? Right, Brooklyn and Baltimore. Um, he is currently uh, finishing his Ph.D. at Midwestern uh, Baptist Theological Seminary. And so he will arrive in January, um, and then Dr. Pace will arrive in June. Um, but uh, we're very excited, excited about those families coming and being here and excited about... Um, uh, about how they will uh, add to our preaching faculty. We we love uh, our preaching programs here at Southeastern, and they are going to just enhance it incredibly. All right, that's going to do it for the news this week. Before we go into this week in SBC history, Amy, we want to talk a, take a minute and talk about uh, really a cultural moment that's going on right now, as well as some new research from the Barna Group. Yeah, and, and we don't always talk about things that are happening in larger culture unless they seem to have a direct impact, like there is a Southern Baptist involved or there's some sort of Southern Baptist aspect. But sometimes we have these cultural discussions that really transcend everything because they just involve all of us. Um, and uh, you you shared this research with me uh, yesterday, I think, sent it to me, that Barna, uh, that Barna did and it was asking a question, and it was a survey uh, between October 19th and 15th, asking the question about what counts as sexual harassment. Yeah. Um, so this is a survey of U.S. adults. Um, and there is, as, as they mentioned, there is a general legal definition for the workplace, uh, they say in their presentation. But this is asking Americans, what do you think counts as harassment and very, very interesting, uh, very interesting responses. Yes, and also heartbreaking at the same time. Yeah, uh, the the disparity in what men and women think are uh, what constitutes sexual harassment are, are quite different, in some cases uh, drastically different. Yeah, and and at every point, you know, and we'll put the link to this. We don't, you know, y you can go and look. Our listeners can go and look. And see sort of the list uh, of how it how it plays out, um, but on every single one of them, obviously the percentage for women saying this counts as harassment um, is is higher than than men. I think what stunned me in it, frankly, was when you get to the top, the the things that are are mentioned the most, or the the things that that have the highest percentage of people saying the fact that they were not 100% yeah. really, really surprised me. I'm wondering if that has more to do with the way the question was asked than Could the have. actual, like, I, I think people would say that that's wrong, especially like the first one, like groping. If someone were to grope a, a man or woman, they, they would say that that is either maybe not sexual harassment. Maybe they would say, well, that's not harassment. That's assault. 
So they answer no, right. possibly. So uh, a bunch of the ones at the top, especially, uh, especially right. ones that involve physical activity, that and, would, and I'm not, they, they and I'm may, not sure. may be a little lower because people think, well, that's assault, not harassment. So Yeah, did know. they give, the, I'm not sure that the methodology is on here. I don't know if Barna wrote these things and people checked them off. I'm, I'm not certain. Or if this was what people yeah. answered. Well, the, I, I don't the question know. was just straight up, what do you think counts as sexual harassment? Okay, so then this all these people said these things. Yeah. Um, so very, very interesting. But then it goes on and asks some other questions. Have you personally encountered sexual harassment? 52% said, no, I have not. Um, but then let's go, you know, the other way, 29% said, yes, I have been um, harassed. 23, 23%, yes, someone I know well was sexually harassed, 15%, yes, I have witnessed sexual harassment. Um, and then five times, uh, I mean, and then 5% preferred not to answer. So I find that strange, that the 52% is so high. Yeah. Uh, I would have expected, you know, 29, 23, 20, or 15. I mean, I would have expected those to be a little bit more uh, than they were. 52% no, I have not encountered sexual harassment in any of these ways. I, yeah. I really find it hard to believe that somebody has not encountered harassment. I mean, like, just in the limited, even in the, the circles I run in, I've seen some of this. I mean, not, not here at Lifeway or anything like that, but I'm just saying, like, right. in my lifetime, I've seen this, sure. you know, especially, you know, you go through college, you just see different things. And sure, I, I find it hard to believe that people don't realize that they have seen it. Yeah. Um, and, and it's hard to know, especially when compared with that list, because it, it it talks about, you know, it, in any of these ways, you know. Um, now, they, they go on, they ask about, you know, the nature of your harassment. Verbal is the highest. Uh, physical next. Verbal was 77%. Uh, physical harassment, 67%. And this is verbal sexual harassment, not just, you know, someone being mean. I think we've all um, been verbally on- harassed. <laughs> Well, anyway, <laughs> um, online, social media, 22%. And then, you know, then you had sort of a small percentage of other or don't know. Uh, but the one that I think is the toughest, the 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 thing that was heartbreaking to me, um, were the next couple of questions. Yeah. So it asked the question, and, and this, is, this is where it drilled down. If you answered a certain thing, uh, then they would ask follow-up questions. So they asked of the group that said they have been harassed, they have witnessed it, or they know someone. So they take that that bunch and ask them, did you or they report the sexual harassment? 59% said no. Yeah. And then... Um, Only one-third said yes, 34%. Right. So and, if, and if you look that, at that, I mean, you can kind of say that two out of three instances of sexual harassment go un reported is that fair yes um i would i i I would say so and then it it asked it drilled down even even further the ones who said that it was not reported they They asked asked why yeah yeah which do you think is the most common reason and number one uh which shouldn't surprise us based on some of these stories lately uh fear of not being believed followed closely by fear of retaliation by the offender right 
and, and you know, it goes on lack of confidence in the system, um, not sure it qualified was 10%, fear of public or social backlash, fear about their own reputation, um, social pressure to not report. That was very low, 3%. But the two high ones were fear of not being believed and fear of retaliation. Um, that this is some pretty uh, this is some pretty strong information to process. You know, we have a lot of stories that are coming out right now. It's very difficult for us to all take this in. Kind of stunning, and um, it's really weird to be having a cultural moment like this where I, I think we're all just sort of reeling um, as we figure out. Uh, what's next as we kind of process yeah. this as as a culture. And uh, it's always helpful when surveys come out like this that really help us to see some data uh, of what people are thinking. Yeah. So, Amy, one last thing before we move on to this week in SBC history. Put this in the context of the SBC. I, I think you and I have talked, we've talked a lot about this and other issues going on in, in the culture over the past few weeks just offline. And... Uh, one of the things that you've been saying is that there's really two conversations that need to be had. I think we certainly have to tri- triage these things. We have some situations that uh, we're seeing in a, in a public conversation that are serious, egregious. Yeah, egregious sexual abuse, sexual harassment, sexual predation. Yes. Yeah. Behavior that is perhaps criminal often is certainly grounds for uh, termination of employment. Uh, these things are real. And one thing we have to 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 recognize is the seriousness of those. One reason that that becomes very important, um, certainly, I mean, I think we have to recognize statistics show uh, we, we can't pretend like these things will never happen in the church or in parachurch organizations, so we certainly have to, to recognize that um, and have safe places for people to report, have policies in place for people to report. Um, we also need to understand that this percentage tells us these women are in our churches. Yes. It also tells us that these are women that we are trying to reach and they are in a society that has greatly devalued them. So it's important for us to be tuned into that conversation. It's really easy to say, I don't want to think about that. It's just so depressing. It's so difficult, but we really have to be in tune to this sort of cultural moment. But the other conversation I think needs to happen is some things are rising to the surface as we talk about this, just about sort of general cultural behavior, um, banter, uh, just things that can, can cause discomfort. It can be really easy as we're talking about both to sort of dismiss that because it's not the most egregious. Yeah. Oh, that's Um, just, he's just being playful. It's just that, you know, it's just a Um, Southern charm, something like that. Right. I, I think it's okay to not, um, to, to recognize this is not in that same category. I think it's also, though, an important time to say, you know, I think we need to stop it. <laughs> I think, you know, um, women don't like this. And in many cases, I mean, w- really none of us should. I mean, we're supposed to be um, watching our, uh, we're supposed to be uh, careful with our speech. I mean, scripture points to that. There's a reason for that. There are issues of respect and and professionalism in play and just honoring uh, one another. So, you know, I don't think that needs to get missed. We do need to understand that abuse abusive situations are very serious and need to be treated that way um, in care for victims and things like that. But these other things, 
they need to be taken seriously as well. Um, that that we're just we are providing a culture that is respectful. Yeah. All right. Well, good discussion, Amy. And uh, we, we'll keep an eye out for any other information, and maybe there'll be some church-related uh, research, maybe coming from Pew or uh, Barna or maybe Lifeway Research. So we'll uh, we'll kind of keep an eye out for any other uh, research that may come out or stories that may come out uh, related to this subject. That's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in SBC history. Amy, blow our minds. Well, this is pretty cool. So um, this is not really something that happened necessarily uh, this week in SBC history, but it's a story that was told uh, this week in SBC history. Well, pub date was this yes. week in SBC history. Yes. So this was in uh, 1981. Um, of course, here we are at December, and uh, we, we know what December is for uh, the Southern Baptist world. That's the time Lottie for the Lottie Moon Christmas, Christmas offering. offering. Yes, so uh, we're going to provide a link to the Baptist Press issue from December 3rd, uh, and it is sharing um, sharing a story, and it's called Lottie and the Socks. So that anything with Lottie gets my attention um, in the title, uh, especially at this time of year. There's a lot so of it's Lottie about, this time of year. Yes, yes, a lot of Lottie. And, you know, we love Lottie Moon in our house, our dog. Um, our sweet dog. Yeah, so you named your dog after her. We did. Um, she was she was a, a wonderful, wonderful dog that we had. Uh, but anyway, so this is about Southern Baptist missionary Rala Bradley in Taejon, uh, Korea, and uh, he went to the Baptist bookstore there, and the clerk handed him a package. So he didn't really n- recognize the name on it. So he just put the packet into the back seat. Um, when he got home, he opened it, and there were two pairs of socks and a letter from a man he didn't know um, who was a criminal that had been uh, doing maintenance work at an Army base. And the, the that June before, um, Rolla Bradley and four Korean Baptist pastors had held evangelistic services in the area where the guy was working. So this is a minor criminal. He's serving time. He's at the army base. They go and hold these evangelistic services. Uh, so it's a Southern Baptist missionary and then some local uh, pastors. And he's just there. They don't even meet him. He says, he sends a note that says, I want to send these two pairs of socks to you, missionary. I want to thank you for coming to the base where I am and preaching about Jesus Christ. I am so happy I heard and have accepted Jesus as my Lord. And uh, so the the missionary, he gave sent a report back to the United States um, as he was telling them what was going on as they got ready for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, and he said that he was thinking of Romans 10, 15, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace. And he said, as I write, I look at the socks I'm wearing, and they're the most beautiful pair of socks I've ever worn. So he used this story to show the work uh, that was so important um, that this man um, came to know Christ because of uh, because of the the generosity of churches of Southern Baptist churches sending missionaries around the world, and the the importance that that uh, story played. So he he essentially told um, sort of his story, his Lottie story to uh, to the the churches back home, um, so they could really see what they were supporting. And this uh, the this minor criminal, you know, now we can hear about him today and even know. Uh, so this was a, a great story. 
reflecting toward the opportunities to give through Lottie Moon uh, that was told this week in SBC history. All right. Well, that's really neat. And we have a special Lottie Moon portion of SBC this week as well. Yeah. So we kind of got inspired by something we saw on social media earlier this week. We did. Beth Moore last weekend uh, posted a video about her support of the Lottie Moon Christmas offering, something that they were doing at uh, Bayou City Fellowship down there where her son-in-law, Curtis Jones, is a pastor. And uh, they're having a big Lottie Moon uh, drive just like everybody else in the SBC right now, uh, doing missions offerings and everything in December. And we got an idea. We said, hey, we could do this too. We could get some friends and record some videos about their Lottie stories. So what we've done, we've created basically a, a video a day that we're going to be sharing in December. We've got a few dozen friends that we emailed out over the weekend and got videos in from. We're going to play uh, some audio from those here on the podcast over the next few weeks. And we're going to start this week with Dr. Ronnie Floyd, the immediate past president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Can you believe over 2.8 billion people in this world have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ? One of the greatest reasons we need to do all we can in each one of our churches, and we need to do all we can personally to give through the international missions offering called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering for International Missions, is because the purpose of that offering is to penetrate the lostness in this world. With over 2.8 billion never even hearing the purpose of Jesus and who Jesus is, what His mission is that He came to save the world, it is incumbent on us to call upon our churches as a local church pastor like me, or perhaps like you, or individually look at everything we have and ask ourselves, what does God want us to do? I want to challenge you to challenge your churches. I want to challenge you personally to evaluate what you can do. You know, someone told me something years ago I've never forgotten. They said, we determined as a family that whatever we were going to spend on Christmas for one another, we were going to give also that same amount to international missions. That is really a compelling and a convicting statement. And that came from a pastor and a wife who pastored churches with smaller memberships, who really sacrificed to put missionaries around the globe. And one of the most dynamic and compelling reasons we need to call our churches to this is not simply to penetrate the lostness, but that 100% of all that is given through the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions goes straight to the missions, straight to the missionaries on the field. That is so important and something that all of us need to embrace fully. Join me and many, many others, hopefully by the thousands upon thousands upon thousands, to do all we can, where we are with all we have, to give 
to penetrate the lostness in this world this year. All right, and uh, that's a great way uh, to kick that off. So first of all, thanks to uh, Beth Moore for just inspiring all of us with her story about Lottie Moon. Uh, thanks to the missionary uh, Rolla Bradley in 1981 for sharing his story. Um, and thanks to Ronnie Floyd. And so we're excited to start sharing uh, some of our stories with you and you could even send in yours. Yes. I mean, this is a great way for us to all talk as Southern Baptists about really sort of the number one reason we uh, come together and cooperate, and that's to get the gospel to the nations. And this is a month where we can think about that and do something very tangible that can reach the other side of the world. So if you want to share your Lottie Moon story, just use your phone, maybe your, even your computer. Uh, just record a quick two to three minute clip of your Lottie story and just uh, hashtag it whenever you post it. Hashtag my Lottie story. Uh, you'll see the post that we'll have at SBC this week uh, on our Twitter feed and our Facebook. We'll be uploading everything there. We even have a Vimeo account. You can go and see all the ones that we have uh, that we have to share for the month. We've got videos from SBC presidents, from uh, SBC DOMs, from pastors, from uh, seminary presidents, entity heads, all kind of uh, videos coming in to us. Uh, we haven't uploaded them all yet, but we've got a lot coming in from all over the country. And uh, we are excited to share those and share Lottie stories uh, from around the SBC. We encourage you as well to give to Lottie Moon. We have a, uh, a link on the show notes on the website at sbcthisweek.com. You can give directly to Lottie Moon or through your church. Uh, but we encourage you to be a part of everything the IMB is doing overseas and share your Lottie story on Facebook or Twitter using the hashtag my Lottie story. Yeah, so we're very excited about that. And uh, so we'll be sharing some of the audio clips of those. Thanks again uh, to everybody sending them in. And we, again, be a part of it. Hashtag my Lottie story. That's going to do it for us this week. Amy, It's uh, it's been a wild week in the SBC. Uh, once again, got a lot of those state convention recaps and uh, a good discussion on uh, sexual harassment and sexual abuse, uh, not just in the church, but in the culture as well. So thanks for being with us again this week. Don't forget to share your Lottie story. Thanks again to the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary for sponsoring the podcast each and every week, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.